Hey, Jason Fladlin here. And I wasn't always this fit and trim and whatever you want to call it. Uh, not this healthy, certainly. I feel healthier now than I've ever felt in my life. But I used to be kind of big. I big, though. In my mid-20s, I was fat, I was sick, and I was a millionaire. So I had one of those three things going for me. I'm going to explain to you why. How at 39, I weigh less than I do at 17, and I haven't been sick in the last maybe three, three and a half, four years. Whew. How did I do it? Well, in this video, we're going to talk about some of the things. We're going to talk about the impact on emotions and your physical health and the beliefs that can flow from maladaptive emotional experiences, usually experienced early on in your life and how they can keep going and be persistent later in life. I'm going to talk about why you need an intentional food philosophy. Everybody has a food philosophy, whether they realize it or not. Uh, but if we bring some intention to it and can kind of script it out a little bit better, there are certain health paradigm shifts that are going to be different for you than me than the next person. The challenge is how do we set you up so you can get exposure to that type of insight when then you hear it and you say, well, this changes everything. So we're going to explore that here as well. And we're going to try to do all this without getting stuck into the weeds of nutrition and health. We don't want to talk about health and nutrition and make that our whole life. We want to live and be in optimal health and nutrition. So how do we do that? All right. I'm going to set the stage with the emotional concept first. And in order to do that, I want to share with you very quickly three stories in my life that massively shaped how I was either healthy or unhealthy. My relationship with food really got screwed up when I was about 10 years old. And I cut weight for the first time. I was a wrestler. And my dad decided because when he was a wrestler, he choked on the big stage. He didn't want me to choke. So at 10, he says, we're going to go. We're going to wrestle at the National Wrestling Tournament in Oklahoma. We're going to drive all the way down to Tulsa. And oh, by the way, this is our vacation, which was the only vacation he ever took me on where I had to cut weight. And I remember one day I had those stupid craft cheeses that were individually sliced and wrapped. I remember sneaking into the refrigerator right before we are going to embark on this journey to drive from Iowa to Tulsa and stealing one of those, going out back and feeling ashamed and guilt as I nibbled on like a mouse the slice of cheese. And then having to cut weight then and cut weight later on when I was a wrestler uh, really screwed up my relationship with food. And so that was the first strike I had going for me. Uh, the second one was uh, when I was about 14 or 13, shortly before my parents divorced, my mom used to cook, not all the time, but a decent amount of time. And then uh, her mother died and she went into a deep state of grief. And I said to my dad one night, I said, hey, dad, is mom ever going to cook again? And my dad says, I don't think she is. And then I went and told her because I was just a kid. I didn't know. And I said, hey, mom, dad says you're not going to cook anymore. And my mom says, OK, I won't. And then she didn't for another 10 years. But what had happened was then my dad decided he was going to cook. And me and my dad are alike in a lot of ways where we're perfectionists. So my dad's like, if I'm going to cook, I want to get really good at it. So I remember for 30 nights straight, we ate the same meal because my dad was trying to perfect his ability to cook this one meal. Ugh. And so that ruined me from a lot of foods too. And then it ruined me also, obviously, because of um, we didn't really have a family anymore, a nuclear family. They separated. My mom went into this depression. She started using drugs. As a result of using these drugs, she ended up going to prison. And I went to Iowa State when all this happened. Fortunately, to a kid that was broke like me and, and just hurting on the inside and feeling all alone, they gave me a meal card and I had a buffet that I could eat three times a day. 
So I went from 180 when I was a senior in high school to a freshman in college to 260, even though I didn't last the full year before I dropped out. And that's when I found myself in this terrible just place. And I felt terrible on the inside. So I looked terrible on the outside. Now, what really changed it for me later on in my life was when I started doing trauma work. Uh, trauma work helped me really love myself. Um, and then it was incompatible for me to harm myself with poor nutrition if I truly love myself. Let's talk about the in, uh, intentional food philosophy. I said you have a food philosophy whether you realize it or not, and it's probably ill-defined. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of the commonly, and I'm glad some of these are getting broken down. So some people believe even still, although lesser, I'm, we're making headway here that you, you should eat three times a day. That's a food philosophy. It's a very basic one. Uh, it's a subset of a deeper philosophy. And the answer is, says who? Um, there's a reason why intermittent fasting is becoming more popular because it eschews the idea that you must eat three times a day. Uh, this is a challenging one that I have with a lot of people because, um, you know, I'll go 16, 18, 20 hours without eating and, and they'll say, you have to eat. Why? Um, in fact, I am most cognitively at my sharpest when I'm in a fasted state. Uh, but that's just one of those types of philosophies. And, you know, another type of philosophy is that you have to have carbohydrates. Not really. You don't necessarily need them and have them. Uh, the body can convert fat into the same type of material via ketones. Is that this overemphasis on the needs for sugars, especially simple sugars, but even more refined ones like carbohydrates, are they necessary? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Maybe it's different for you than it is for me. Obviously, we want to enjoy the foods we eat some of the time, at least. It can't purely be this tastes miserable, but somehow it keeps me healthy. Because if, it, if it's such an arduous process, you're not going to want to eat it if it's not healthy. So the idea, though, is this, and this is what I learned from being a Hare Krishna monk. So when I said I got ahead of myself, when I came back, I got really fat. I was about 260 pounds. Uh, and then I, I was that way from 18 to 21. And then I got involved in the Hare Krishna philosophy. Uh, I became like a hardcore monk for about four years of my life. And one of the aspects of that is that food is a spiritual process. It is an act of devotion of you preparing food to offer to God. And so to prepare that food, you should be in this mode of goodness and cleanliness. And you should be thinking pure and clean thoughts. And you get in that mode. This was food that you would create with love and then distribute it to other people because it had some spiritual effect to it. It could help empower other people. I'm sure on a scientific level, you could measure the difference of how your body processes food that you eat and breaks it down if you come at it from this mode of cleanliness and purity then versus eating food that was made in a factory very impersonally and shipped and you know packaged and all of this other stuff that becomes soulless. So that really changed everything for me. Now I lost it. So you know this is why they call it a spiritual practice. If you don't practice it continually, you can lose it. And so I became fat again. I went back up to about 250 after I, I got out of Hare Krishna because I got so in, in just monomaniacally focused on building a business. And I was willing to sacrifice everything else in order to get there. Uh, not a good decision. It's the best I could do at the time. It's all I knew uh, because I didn't realize it. But due to all the childhood trauma I had growing up, there was still part of me inside of me that says I wasn't good enough and that I needed money in order to feel safe. Otherwise, I was 
unsafe and maybe I would then be worthy and then I could feel safe if I had this money and let my health slip significantly. And then what happened? Well, what happened was I got a couple of paradigm shifts. So I had this food philosophy that lay dormant in me that I'm now subscribed to again. As I look at food, uh, when I eat it, I eat it in a state of gratitude because this is something that the earth provides as sustenance to me. And so I, I try to, as best as I can, always show up with gratitude of, wow, the bountiful fruitfulness of this thing that's available to me. And there's gratitude towards that. Wow, this is what creates the sustenance in me. This is the fuel that helps me fulfill the purpose and passion that I have in my life to give me that vitality. And so there's some of that philosophy in there as well. Forget diets, forget all that other stuff. Just say, what's my belief in my philosophy to food? Or what can I step into now that would feel better and more empowering than currently how I look at food? Food should have some pleasure, but maybe we put a little bit too much short-term pleasure to the food. Sometimes you just need a paradigm shift in order to step into this new direction of nutrition and eating healthy. And so one of the big things that changed it for me is I joined Genius Network, Joe Polish's Genius Network in 2014, and I came in there just not only just overweight, I had this big beard, uh, I had hair that I never combed, and I just really didn't care. Uh, I, I was like, business was the only thing that had brought me joy. So that was what I was focusing on. But then I got around Joe and I got around some of the other people and genius that he attracted that also put a large emphasis on, on health. And they tell the story like Joe does of the, the million dollar racehorse. He says, if you had a million dollar racehorse, would you keep him all out all night smoking cigarette, drinking booze, feeding him fast food and junk food and sleep depriving him? And well, no, you wouldn't do that. Well, you're the million dollar racehorse. And I'm like, ah, okay, here, this isn't, you know, it, it worked in my 20s, but in my 30s and 40s, this ain't going to work anymore. And so that paradigm shift is seeing people that were more functional in business, not by working more, but by putting some of the time to their health. Uh, another one, too, where I stepped it up another level. So, you know, I, I end up going dropping down about 205 to 215. As an aside, weight is a poor marker of health, uh, but it's an, a simplistic marker. Uh, so we're using that kind of as a guidepost here today, but you can you can be obese, quote unquote, and still be healthy uh, on a biological level. You'd live a normal life and die a normal death, just like a quote unquote healthy person was, and you can be thin and be unhealthy as well. So anyway, uh, when I started studying dopamine, it really gave me that next edge to where I, I elevated my nutrition even up a level. And that's when I went down to below 200 pounds, which I hadn't saw on a scale in forever. And the whole concept of what I learned with dopamine is these, these easily gained joys, these high sensory, really powerful uh, stimulus of pleasure without much effort, they lead to disaster. And that's true. And this is where addictions get formed. This is why Starbucks is the biggest drug dealer in the world. Uh, not only do they put the caffeine in the drink, they put the sugar in the drink. And in some drinks, they put the salt in the drink too. Salt, sugar, and caffeine, whew, can't make it more addictive than that without going to becoming illegal <laughs> and socially unacceptable. But the problem is with dopamine is you can never get enough of it when you get attached to these short-term pleasures. And so you, you can never be satiated. But if, if you eat it based upon not a perspective of of dopamine, but more of a perspective of serotonin of what do I already have and what I can be grateful for. And then you, you start to consume foods, not based on the immediate pleasure that they give you,
but to extend the gratitude of what you have. Well, you know, I'm, I can be present here and these foods will help me with my presence even further to take what I already have and elevate it even more. Whew. That was a paradigm shift for me. Cold plunges were a paradigm shift for me. So I'm sitting in the cold plunge one day, just like miserable, but loving every second of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really in tune with my body at that point in time. You have to be. And my body says, you don't need these types of foods that you've been eating lately. These foods that I knew were not necessarily good for me. And my body says, you don't need anymore. And I go, okay. And it was done. And for six months, I was like, no desire to eat any of those foods. Whew, I'm going on 40 now. I feel better than I ever did from a health perspective. And I have more stresses in my life than I would care to have due to, you know, and a big part of feeling well is your nutrition. Now, let me give you a couple other real quick tips as we wrap this video up here. There is such a major relationship on your sleep and your nutrition that you can't even imagine. There are certain chemicals that a lack of sleep releases into your body that will make you eat past the point of satiation. And so your body won't know when you're full and will tend to want to overeat to compensate for the lack of sleep that you've, you've, you've had. If you're trying to fight the impulse game, you'll probably lose. So put more of an emphasis on sleep. Now, it's, you can't really ride two horses at once. So if you're trying to sleep and eat better at the same time, it may be too much. So then just don't care about what you eat for now as much. Focus more on your sleep and don't be surprised if your nutrition starts to sort itself out automatically. So to me, sleep is the most important thing. Uh, it actually goes sleep, nutrition is, is third, and then exercise is second. There's also this commitment and consistency. If I'm committed in the physical uh, perspective of increasing my health, then it's easier to be consistent from a nutritional perspective. But the reason why physical exercise is so important is because it makes you feel better inside of your own skin. And then, and when you do that, it, it tends to give you leverage in your nutrition as well as other parts of your life, including stress. Um, the idea isn't necessarily to get rid of stress. The idea is to attach a different meaning and how you process stress. So that way it doesn't crush you, but instead you can grow from it, which is totally possible. And so those are some of the things that you can focus on. Other than that, it's, it's a trial and error game. What works for me won't exactly work for you. There are certainly different body types out there. There are certain individual biochemistry that is happening there. And even things that worked for me two years ago, I've had to make adjustments. Uh, now, but I share this with you because society is going in the other direction and it very much scares me in terms of people are tending to getting sicker and sicker, quicker and quicker. And hopefully until there's a societal shift, if there is one at an individual level, we can take uh, a little bit more control of what we're doing for ourselves. And maybe this will help you. If it does, let me know in the comments. I'll see you in the next video.